0: Lord wants is total restoration. Tonight, we're going to really look through three different passages and the reason we're doing three is because it will kind of tie in several of the readings that we've had lately and help us kind of see how uh, the chronological order of the Bible maybe would help us to understand the Old Testament better. But underlying in all of this will be the application of restoration and how important it is for us to have total restoration. And what I want to remind us of as we begin this lesson is that it's probably very possible that as we study this that it will test all of our hearts to say, am I totally dedicated to God? God's people have done a good job through the years of only being a pretense of dedication a pretense of restoration. And it never lasted. And it was never what God wanted. As we look to 2 Kings, and this will take you back in your memory of what we've read recently, and we read it most recently out of 2 Chronicles as the stories are recorded twice there in Kings and Chronicles. And it's what we studied together as a church family last Sunday morning. Do You remember Josiah. Josiah came along as a son of a very wicked king, and his grandfather Manasseh was even more wicked than that. He was known for a king that celebrated child sacrifice to God. Here is a man that is the king of God's people, but yet he practices such terrible pagan ways. And now this son comes along, and at eight years of age, because of the assassination of his father who was king previously, he now is king. We're not told exactly why it is that this young man begins to develop a heart for God. Remember last Sunday morning we mentioned the fact that Zephaniah would have been a contemporary of his and we even read passages that Zephaniah wrote that very well could have been one of the influencing factors in his life. Also, it might have been that his mother, Jedidah, could have been an influencing factor in his life of godliness also because her name means God's darling. Now there probably was another who was a great influence in his life and that would have been Jeremiah because he too was a contemporary of Josiah. But as we think about this, I want you to notice the difference in the heart of Josiah and the heart of the people. You see, at eight years of age, he becomes king and he starts purging by 20 years old Israel or Judah of all of the idolatry. But notice how he is remembered in the 23rd chapter and 25. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart. Now notice that. That's very important to tonight's study. What did Josiah do? He turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might according to all of the law of Moses. Nor after him did any arise like him. Do you remember, and if you would be making your way to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, the 34th chapter, in just a moment we'll be reading another passage about Josiah there. Do you remember when he was beginning to restore things in the temple that a copy of the Law of Moses was found? The people didn't know the Law of Moses because they had been so far removed from the ways of God because they had been following the pagan influence of their neighbors And so when he heard the law of Moses read, he recognized how far they were from it, and he rent his clothes. Later they would celebrate the Passover for the first time in many generations. Once he hears the reading of the law, notice what he does in the 34th chapter and 31. The king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes with all His heart and all of His soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And He made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and the God of their fathers. Do you have a picture of this now? Here is a man that has totally given his heart. We're talking about restoration tonight. He is totally restored. He had a heart that was set up on God, but he didn't know the law of God. And when he finds the law of God, he totally restores his life personally. And now he wants to restore Judah that he's the king of. And so he starts making these decrees to say, you're going to follow this law. And the people stand up to obey the king. Yes, we will follow this law. The idolatry's moved out. The Passover is celebrated. The temple's cleaned up. But did they? Was their restoration an outward show? Or was their restoration equal to their king, Josiah? You remember last Sunday morning, I mentioned to you this fact. Josiah was able to purge the idols out of the land. But he was not able to purge the idolatry out of their hearts. As a matter of fact, when we turn over to the book of Jeremiah, and if you will be making your way to Jeremiah the third chapter. Jeremiah was a prophet who prophesied before the days of Josiah, and he prophesied all the way into the exile when the small remnant was taken over by Babylon, Babylon and taken into Babylonian captivity. As we think about what Jeremiah would say at this point, it's interesting that he dates the fact, because Jeremiah would actually be a prophet during several kings. But notice how this is particularly dated in the third chapter and verse six. The Lord said also to me, In the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree and has played the harlot. You see, Israel here is the northern kingdom and so he's prophesying and he's saying, Look, here's what Israel's doing at this point. They have gone up into the mountains. It's the idea of worshiping like the pagans worship. And they have, in other words, they've been unfaithful to God. They played the role of the harlot. And he he talks about that more in 7. And he says Judah, the sister Judah, saw what they were doing. That's the southern kingdom where Josiah is the king over the southern kingdom. And he even says in 9, So it came to pass that through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. You see, that's what the idols were made of, the stones and trees. Now notice this right here. This is most revealing about Judah. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. When we read through the record in Kings and Chronicles of Josiah, that's not revealed to us. We see this land and and it's almost like we get excited. Look, here is a king who finally is a great king. He's a godly king. He's going to purge the land. And now he's commanded the people that they too should turn their heart over to God. And it appears that they turned their heart over to God. But we know something is wrong because immediately when Josiah dies, the people immediately go back to idolatry. But here Jeremiah reveals to us, even in the days that Jeremiah, in, in the days that Josiah is living, he reveals to us, hey, I can tell you right now, it's a pretense. It's false. It's an act. It's all for show. They have not totally dedicated their life to God. How many times, and I'm not saying this to judge hearts. We're just trying to make a point here. How many times have we seen a family where when the strong spiritual leader in that family, it may have been grandmother, it may have been grandfather, It may have been mama. It may have been daddy. But when the strong spiritual leader in that family passes away, those people that once were there three times a week and they were involved in a lot of things, over the next few months and years, they start trickling away. And before long, you don't see hardly anybody in that family anymore dedicated to God. Now, friends, I'm not trying to judge their hearts. I'm just saying, in an illustration like this, this is exactly what we see of Judah. Here was a king that was a strong spiritual leader. He loved God with all of his heart. He was going to purge the idolatry out of his land. He was begging the people, You join me in this. And in pretense, they did. They put on a good show. I would guess that you probably could have gone up to some of them individually and said, Hey, are you wholly devoted to God? And during that time, they most likely would have said, Yes. We've gotten rid of our idolatry. We're wholly devoted to God. But you know what? God knew the depths of their heart. And God said, No, their king is. But them, those people, they're not wholly devoted. And after the king passes away, what God said was proven. That it was all a pretense. It was all a show. Look with me, if you will, Jeremiah the 22nd chapter. This is right after, Jeremiah the 22nd chapter. This would be after Josiah passes away. 18th chapter, Jeremiah 22, kind of gives you a timeline there. In 18, that's where Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, becomes the king of Judah. And for time's sake, he starts writing about this. We're going to skip down to 21. And notice the proof here, what the people do. He says, I spoke to you in your prosperity. This is in 21. In other words, when things were going good, God said, I came and I spoke to you at that time. But you said, I will not hear. This has been your manner from your youth that you did not obey my voice. Here are the people that if you would have gone to them and, and watched as another person on the outside, we might have looked at those people and said, you know what, now in their youth they were faithful because Josiah reigned for 25 years and he really cleaned the place up. And there was more than a decade, and almost two decades that, that he had removed the idolatrous ways out of the land. And so I know that when these people were young, they were followers of God. And God writes and says, I can tell you that from your youth, not obeyed me. God's pulling back the surface. He's pulling back their religion and he's showing us their heart. Their religion when they were young was I'll do what the king commands, I'll do what God commands and I'll worship like God has said. You pull all of that outer fabric back and underneath God says, see it's hollow. There's no spiritual life inside those people. Friends, tonight, I want you to think about the people that you look up to spiritually. I hope it's a family member. It may not be. But maybe you have a spouse that's a great encouragement. Maybe you have parents, maybe you have children that are great encouragements. Maybe it's the person sitting just down the pew from you or over in another section. What if they die? What if they themselves fall away? What if you no longer live near them? Is all this you go through on a weekly basis just a pretense? Or can you say like Josiah, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. For Josiah, it was total restoration. For Judah, it was only the pretense of restoration. Second Chronicle ends with the exile. Babylon comes in and takes over because the people stopped serving God. God stopped protecting them. And we go into 70 years of exile. You remember the story of Daniel. Those stories took place during the times of exile. Now, as we're reading through the Bible, and if you want to be making your way to Ezra, the 7th chapter, Ezra, the 7th chapter, I'm just going to throw this out for those of you that are doing the daily Bible reading to see if this helps at all. Right now, we're coming to the end of the history of the New Testament. Now, if we're not accustomed to the chronological order of the Bible, you may say, now wait a minute, we're not even halfway through the Old Testament. How is it that we're coming to the end of Old Testament history? When we get to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther... Those are the last three books. If you were to put the books of the Old Testament beginning at Genesis and get to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, right there's the end. That is the end of Old Testament history. So we've read Ezra this past week. We're entering into Nehemiah. Esther comes in between, well, where I just asked you to open. Ezra, the sixth chapter and the seventh chapter, there's a 60-year gap there between those two chapters. That's where Esther fits in. And so Nehemiah is the last recording along with, there's three prophets that join up with this time period. In other words, the rest of the Old Testament, you can come back and put on this timeline. Parts of the five books of poetry will come into this timeline. All of the prophets that we read about, beginning with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of those are going to fit in this timeline. And with these last three books of Esther, Nehemiah, and Ezra, those three books are also going to have the prophets of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Malachi is going to be the prophet that prophesied during the time period of Nehemiah. And so those two books give us the very end of the Old Testament. So hopefully that will help you as you kind of picture the Old Testament as you're reading through it. Now, why are we turning to Ezra right now? We have just worked our way into the exile. Now there's 70 years of exile where they are kidnapped, they're taken over to Babylonian captivity, and then there are three movements where they are allowed to come back and rebuild Jerusalem. You'll read about those in Ezra and Nehemiah. Two of them are in Ezra, and that is when Zerubbabel is allowed to come back and start working on the temple. Halfway through the book, you'll start reading about Ezra allowing to be allowing to return. And he brings back a following with him and they start restoring more of uh, the, the worship. It's already been restored to a degree. He continues to work on that. And we're about to read some of this in just a moment where he urges the people to come back to total restoration. And then Nehemiah is going to come back because he hears that the wall has not been built back and he's going to come back and build back the wall. That building back from the temple to the wall is about 90-something years. And then that's the end that we have recorded in the Bible. There's 400 years of silence and then the New Testament begins. Now, what are we studying tonight? As we study this, we're also studying about restoration. Notice the difference in Josiah and then the people. Now, let's study for just a few moments Ezra and notice the difference in Ezra and the people. Ezra is another example of a man who had totally restored his life. Look in the 7th chapter. You see in verse 6, in the middle of verse 6, he was a skilled scribe. He was one who loved the Word of God. Some say that they believe that Ezra was the one who wrote Psalm 119. Remember, that's the longest chapter in the Bible, and that's that beautiful chapter about the Word of God. He is a man who definitely loved the Word of God. Notice what he did in verse 10. We We're thinking about restoration. For Ezra had prepared his heart. Now, now think about that phrase for just a moment. What, how do you prepare your heart? probably through meditation, probably through prayer, probably being very focused, very intentional. He had prepared his heart for what? Number one, to seek the law of the Lord. Number two, and to do it. And number three, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So here's a man that now he's being allowed to go back and to help build back Jerusalem and help restore that city. And he says, oh, this is what I've prepared my heart to do. This is what I want to do. Number one, I want to seek the law of Moses. I want to learn it. Number two, I want to live it. Remember this morning we talked about you take truth and you hold it close? He wants to seek truth. Remember the breastplate of righteousness is when you live the truth. He's saying, I want to seek it. I want to live it. And then you remember the preparation of your feet for spreading the gospel? And what did he say he wanted to do? He said, I want to go out and teach it. Three of the armor are mentioned right here in this one verse where Ezra is totally dedicated to God. His life is wholly restored to God. But the people, on the other hand, look in the ninth chapter. If you have chapter headings in your Bible, your chapter heading probably says something about intermarriages with pagans. And you just want to shake your head. (laughs) This was all of the problem that destroyed Judah. They went into exile as slaves, and finally they're allowed to come back. And they've only been back a few decades, and when he comes back, what does he find? They're already doing the very same thing that destroyed them. And and so at the end of of, uh, evening sacrifice, look at verse 5. At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting And having torn my garments and my robe, I fell on my knees and I spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, oh my God, I'm too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty. And then he talks about the exile. And in verse 8 he says, And now for a little while grace has shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in the holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival and our bondage. And the rest of this chapter is just that, more of that kind of language saying we're guilty. God's giving us grace. He's giving us a chance. But we're guilty. We keep blowing it. We won't get it right. What is wrong with us? And so it's during this prayer. Keep in mind, this is our, their spiritual leader. He's just bowed down, prostrate. He is, he is praying this prayer. And notice what happens in 10. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Now, while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men women and children gathered to him from Israel for the people wept very bitterly. And when we read the rest of this chapter and uh, to the very end of of Ezra, it is a plan that the people come up with to break away from the pagan people and to resolve and restore their life with God. What a beautiful thought. Now, not to be pessimistic, but when you read this coming week, the very last chapter in Nehemiah, if you want to turn over there Nehemiah, the 13th chapter, we're only about 40 years down the road. Do you have this picture in your mind? What led them into exile to begin with? They wouldn't separate from paganism. They had it in their heart. Now they finally are able to come back and Ezra arrives into town and what does he have to do? Because of the sins of the people, he has to address their pagan relationships again. Now just 40 years later, before the Old Testament ends, what's one of the last things written to the people in the Old Testament? Look, if you will, the 13th chapter, verse 23. This is Nehemiah, 40 years after what we just read in Ezra. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Amnon, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one and the other people. See how far they had gotten away from God? So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them, Pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, "You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons and yourselves." And then even says as Solomon did. That's how the Old Testament ends. We have a great example of Josiah, wholly restored. Judah is just a pretense. We have a great example of Jeremiah, and we didn't read the verse, but remember when he had the fire in the 20th chapter, a fire in his bones, and he couldn't hold back from speaking? Here's a man so dedicated to God, so restored, he couldn't hold back. But yet the people, it was all a pretense. Ezra comes into town. His heart is set so much on God, he seeks God. He lives the will of God. He teaches others the will of God. But the people... They're back in the pagan relationships again. But they say they're going to stop it. Forty years later, Nehemiah comes into town to build back the wall and the same people have gone back to the same relationships and Nehemiah is literally shaking them by the hair of their head as if to say, are you ever going to get it right? For time's sake, if you will, be turning to Matthew, the 23rd chapter. If we were throwing away the clocks, we'd spend about 30 minutes on this chapter, and wow, would it pull all this together. But we're not throwing the clocks away, okay? And, and this is really amazing. We have 400 years of silence. Do you recognize somebody in the New Testament that's kind of like the people we've been studying about? pretense, Pharisees, The New Testament opens with the Pharisees keeping all of that pretense. If you pull back the outer fabric, that outer fabric is we're the most religious people of the day. We know the law better than anyone else. We're the most righteous people of the day. Pull back that fabric. That's what the whole Matthew 23 is about. If you want something to study this week, study Matthew 23 and see. The Lord is saying pull back the fabric. I want to show you what's on the inside of these Pharisees. We're going to see it in just one verse. Look at 27, Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Friends, let's not stand up here as we study this and point a finger at the Pharisees. Let's point a finger at us and let's ask ourselves Do I appear righteous on the outside? Do I appear to be someone who loves the law of God and wants to serve God? Now, I have to be honest with myself and say that's not enough. Is it real? If that layer of fabric is pulled back, what is on the inside? Is it all a pretense? Or is it all for real? Can I say this evening, no matter what happens, God, I'm wholly dedicated to you. It doesn't matter if Josiah dies, God, I'm dedicated to you. It doesn't matter if Ezra's not here to keep pointing us to the law, God, I'm dedicated to you. It doesn't matter if that great wall builder in my life, Nehemiah, is no longer in my life, I'm dedicated to you or if the truth were known would God look down a Pharisee you hypocrite friends if that describes me tonight I'm in apparently a big majority God's people have struggled with this for ages But let's make sure that pretense does not describe us. Let's make sure that what describes us this evening is that we're real. We're wholly set upon God. We seek Him. We want to tell others. And hopefully we are beautiful to God on the outside, but just as beautiful on the inside. You can pressure wash a tomb and you can make it look beautiful. But when you roll that stone away, Jesus was saying, it's just dead bones in there. What's inside you? Total restoration? Let's make it so. Tonight, we're not asking who's perfect because there's nobody here perfect. Tonight, we're simply asking, are you totally restored? Have you been baptized into Christ? If not, isn't tonight the time to do it? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, maybe it just hasn't become real. Maybe it has been, but you've left it. But now, tonight, you know you don't want to leave being dead on the inside. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.